Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially. You can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. Hey, y'all, good morning. My name is Cameron. I'm one of the pastors here. This is my wife, Sarah Beth. Dustin forgot her. Make sure you don't let him forget that he forgot her. I don't ever forget her. I have forgotten the kids before. Really, like I was supposed to pick them up at the parents' house and I get home and she's like, where are the kids? <laughs> Had a lot on my mind. I digress. Hey, we're glad you guys are here this morning. Um, Sarah Beth is joining me on stage this morning. Well, honestly, because I need her help. Uh, we are in a series called Come to Me, and we're talking about a handful of different spiritual rhythms and practices uh, that help nurture our love affair with Jesus and with one another. Uh, only this week, the spiritual rhythm is prayer. And I am convinced that there is nothing harder to cultivate in the life of faith than prayer. Uh, and she's got a lot of practice. More on that in just a moment. Uh, first, a couple announcements. You heard Dustin inviting you out this Wednesday night to our Pilot Grace Group's launch. Long story short, we're going to ask you to come and study God's Word around the table for nine weeks. Uh, and we're trusting and believing that at the end of that, some of you folks are going to have some relational chemistry and you're going to want to go do the same thing, but not here, uh, in your homes where you live. We believe that circles are better than rows and the best circles are in our living rooms. Uh, and we believe that the way that we're going to see the gospel saturate all of the Heartland region is when the people of God begin linking arms and living in community and on mission Together, We're excited. Uh, we had groups orientation this last Wednesday where we kind of give an overview of what our discipleship strategy is here at Grace Bible. I didn't expect anyone to come. Uh, there were 50 of you. <laughs> uh, we ended up having to like move out of the classroom and into the foyer. And so we're excited uh, to see God begin to build relationships around the word of God. Uh, and so we'd love for you to come on Wednesday night. If you want to sign up and register, we'd love for you to do that so that we know you're coming. So we can put you at tables uh, with other people where you live close to, uh, but chances are pretty good most of you are not going to do that and just going to show up on Wednesday, and that's okay. Um, it'll just make it harder for us, but that's okay. We're glad you're coming anyway. That's not all we have going on Monday night, right? Right, tomorrow night. Monday is tomorrow. Uh, we are restarting our quarterly women's gathering, so if you are a lady 18 and over, we would love to have you come join us tomorrow evening from 5.30 to 7. We'll be celebrating the faithfulness of God across seasons of life. Um, right here in the worship center, we'll gather around the tables. There will be sweet treats. There's not child care this time, but we would be delighted if you would come and join us for worship and fellowship and conversation. Hey, online family, we're glad you guys are here as well. Uh, make sure that you comment. Let us know that you're here. Share the link. We want to pray with you and for you as well. Okay, so we're halfway through this series, Come to Me. Uh, and in this series, we are introducing you, Grace Bible Church, to a bunch of different spiritual rhythms and practices. Uh, we have been calling you, GBC, into living sent, living on mission, and we've done so for the last couple of years. Uh, but we realize that we haven't really given you any of the rhythms and spiritual practices for the long haul. 
Uh, We want to make sure that you are equipped to maintain your intimacy and your relationship with Jesus as you live on mission. And so we've been talking about uh, reading the word of God and worshiping. And last week was a doozy. Dustin called us to self-denial, laying down our preferences for the sake of the gospel. And this weekend we're going to talk about the spiritual discipline of prayer. Now, we've taken great pains throughout this series to make sure that we don't mistake these rhythms and practices as our relationship with Jesus, rather than rightly seeing them for what they are, vehicles meant to escort us into a greater relationship with Jesus and with one another. GCBI students, the Word of God can't become a textbook. It's got to It's got to stay God's love letter to us. Uh, And so fight for that intimacy with the word of God. Uh, We want to make sure that these rhythms and practices, we've been using the language of places and practices, a place like this, church, and practices like we've mentioned already, they are crucial to the journey of faith. They are necessary for cultivating intimacy with Jesus. Only we have this uncanny ability to worship places and practices instead of seeing them as vehicles that lead us to the person, Jesus. Yeah, and that's why we started this series in Matthew chapter 11 with Jesus' invitation to come to him. Come to me, he said, all who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. The invitation of Jesus is always an invitation to himself. This place here, these practices that we're sharing with you are a means for us to experience God as he reveals himself to us. They are not themselves the revelation or the savior. So this morning we're turning our attention to the practice of prayer. As Cam said, one of the more difficult things I think there is in the spiritual life, and it's not because we don't exactly know how to pray or we don't know where God is, but a lot of things can muddy the waters for us with regard to prayer. We might come with expectations that God answer a certain way, and when he did not, we're dealing with an unanswered prayer or a sense of unanswered prayer. We all pray very differently from one another as unique expressions of the Christ life. And so what does it look like for individuals to pray? We often assume that God might have a particular obligation to us when we come to him in prayer. And so this morning, our goal is going to be to answer two specific questions. What is prayer and how do we pray? Cam mentioned that I've had a lot of practice in this, and before you think that practice makes perfect, and that's what he's referring to, um, I want to reassure you that my prayer life is less like what you might imagine Mother Teresa's is, and more like a Jackson Pollock painting. Are there any art history buffs in here? Jackson Pollock painted like this, and this is my prayer life. Can anyone relate? (laughs) It is messy. It is not tidy. There are seasons that ebbed and flowed. I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor. I had what I consider the gift of learning early on what practices and rhythms of the spiritual life looked like. I learned a variety of ways to meet with the Lord, and I'm thankful that I learned those things as an early, at an early age. These are good, to be clear. They're good and right. We honor the Lord when we walk in these habits of the faith. But I have to be honest in saying that I began believing that checking off the list was the point. Mm -hmm. I began to believe that if I wrote my prayers out a certain way, then contentment was what would happen for me. Or if I approached God in this particular way, then he would answer me in this particular way. 
getting my gold star in Sunday school was kind of the goal. And for a time, that worked. By worked, I mean I experienced God in ways that I wanted and enjoyed and hoped for. He met me in prayer as I practiced talking with him and listening with him. And these are good things. And I hit a wall in my early 30s. The practices that for a time had nourished me and sustained me essentially dried up. I knew God had not forsaken me. He promises in his word, right, that he will never leave us or forsake us. I knew that I had not abandoned him. I was still walking in these habits and these practices. And yet God was not performing as I expected. (laughs) It turns out that I had begun to see these disciplines as my deliverer. And the true deliverer will have no other gods before him. And so he dried up those wells. I began to wrestle with him when he did that. I did not see it yet as the gift that it was to turn my eyes to him who is my life so that I would not go to anything, any other source for real life. I began to wrestle and wait. It was, in year, it was across years of waiting that I began to learn that God's promise of, of his presence was a true gift to me, even when he did not perform as I hoped he would. I had to relearn what prayer was, essentially. And so that brings us to our first point this morning. We're putting together a working definition of what prayer is. And so prayer is first and foremost a response to an invitation from God. Much like Jesus' invitation in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to come to me, God offers a similar invitation in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with us to Jeremiah chapter 33, or you can read it on the Bible in the sky. I think that's what we call this. (laughs) So we're reading from Jeremiah chapter 33, starting with verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time, while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name, call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Call to me, and I will answer you. I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Prayer is a response to an invitation. A close friend and mentor of ours told us years ago that we never turn to God in prayer unless God had first initiated or instigated something in our worlds to cause us to look up. In other words... Anytime we come to God in prayer, it is always in response to a God who has already been at work in our lives, oftentimes before we have even ever noticed it. Now, this was significant for me. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't have her story. I came to faith when I was 18. I was a hot mess. Uh, But when I first got saved, I didn't learn that prayer was this invitation by a God who delighted to respond to me. Nobody told me that I was invited by God to call on him and that he wanted to reveal to me all the things I needed to know. No, what I learned was that prayer was what good Christians did. It was just the duty of what we did. And that when I needed God to come through for me, regardless of what was going on in my life, prayer was the ticket to 
punch. And so for me, prayer was always about what God could do for me, getting from God. But what if prayer was about more than just getting answers, more than just getting our needs met? What if prayer was more about learning who God was, learning what God has done and God desires to do, learning more about my Self. And so the remarkable thing in this passage of Jeremiah is that it seems like God wants us to know these great and hidden things about him, and about ourselves, about the world in which we live, about God's purposes in the world. That's, that's what's happening here in Jeremiah 33. Let me give you some context here. Dustin actually touched on Jeremiah just a little bit last week. Uh, Jeremiah had a difficult call on his life. He was called by God as a very young man, as a prophet. He was called by God to speak for God, to be God's mouthpiece. Uh, The problem was, Jeremiah didn't often have anything good to say to the people of God. It's like he had one refrain, repent, repent, turn back from your false gods, judgment is coming. And what's even worse, Dustin said this last week, God told Jeremiah from the beginning, listen, Jerry, nobody's going to listen. Listen, Jerry, nobody's going to heed your warnings. Nobody's going to repent. No, Jeremiah, other than your obedience to the call, there's not going to be a lot of discernible fruit in your life. Anybody want to sign up for that? And yet, what a powerful life principle from Jeremiah. As Christians, as disciple makers, as image bearers, we are always called to obedience to God and to trust God with the outcome. Trust God with the results, only sometimes trusting God with the outcome ends us shut up in the court guard. Verse 1, that's where he was. He was in prison for walking in obedience to God. Now, what does this have to do with prayer? I'm glad you asked. Everything. Everything. Because Jeremiah could have allowed his circumstances to drive him to all kinds of different responses, couldn't he? He could have complained. He could have despaired. He could have flew off the handle and started throwing stuff. But before the scriptures tell us any of that happened, God showed up with an invitation. Jeremiah 33, verse 3, call to me. Call out to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. What was the precious promise of God? It wasn't just that I'm listening. Not not just that my ear is inclined towards the voice of my child But there's a promise of revelation here. Everything Jeremiah needed to know, God had. Now, for Jeremiah, these great and hidden things, they had everything to do with what God was doing with the people of God, with Israel. We're talking all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. God made a promise to Abraham, to the family of Terah, that God would bless the world through Israel. But up to this point in the story, man, Israel was a hot mess The kingdom of Israel, the nation of Israel was divided into two. There was a northern kingdom made up of 10 of the tribes, went by the name of Israel. And there was a southern kingdom made up of two tribes, Benjamin and Judah. And well, by this time, Jeremiah's ministry, the northern kingdom had already fallen into Assyrian captivity. Why? Sin, idolatry. And the southern kingdom was well on its way. That's what Jeremiah's ministry was all about. God called him to speak out against the sin of Judah. And so here's Jerry. He's in prison. He's going to end up dying in Egypt, in captivity. No discernible fruit. And here he is halfway in the story wondering, is this it for me? God, I know your nature and I know your character. I know you're a promise keeper. 
What are you going to do here? What are you going to do with Israel? And if we went on reading in chapter 33, we would see that God did have a plan for Israel, a plan to bring them back out of captivity eventually, to restore them to abundance and prosperity. See, what Jeremiah needed to know was that everything that he needed to know, it was one call away. It was one call away. Call to me and I will answer you. I will give you insight into what you do not yet know. I'll give you insight into what I'm doing in your life and in the life of your people. And I don't think it's a stretch at all for us to see a promise in this text, not just for Jeremiah, not just for Israel, but a promise for you and for me that if we would but call on the Lord too, that he would give us insight into great and hidden things that we have not yet known. Prayer. Prayer is first and foremost a response to an invitation to call on the Lord. And we don't know exactly what it looked like when Jeremiah answered the invitation to call on the Lord. I imagine it might have sounded like the psalmist in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord? Have you forgotten me? Will you forget me forever? Or maybe it might have sounded like Jesus from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The scriptures are full of what it sounds like when the people of God call on the Lord. What does it sound like when you call on the Lord? Hmm. When I call on the Lord, it often sounds like help. I find myself in my kitchen or in the living room taking a deep breath and muttering, God help me, and my children know to flee while mama prays. <laughs> Another refrain of my prayer life has been, God, I believe you, help my unbelief. Amen. For most of my life, I have felt that I have, I have the mustard seed faith. I believe God help my unbelief. There have been seasons where I've experienced deep communion with the Lord in the prayer closet and on my knees before him and in the scriptures. And I have learned what it looks like in those seasons, but those seasons are not constant, right? Seasons ebb and flow. And so I have learned what it looks like to go deep with the Lord. John Piper says you can't go deep with God on the run. Mm. And so while I get to call to the Lord in all times and in all places, I also experience seasons where, I am con- where there is a concentrated approach to prayer. God draws us into deep communion with him that was usually, in those times. That was usually when our kids slept past 630, right? They've never done that. Yeah, amen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pray for us. So prayer takes different expressions, different shapes in, a, in the life of a believer. What we know is that in addition to this Old Testament suggestion that we will call and God will answer. The New Testament writers also give us this invitation, give us instructions for what it looks like to bring everything that ails us to God and expect that he will listen. Here's a couple of our favorites. Uh, You probably know these pretty well. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. And be anxious for nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication. Supplication simply means to make our petitions to God. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving in our hearts, let us make our requests made known to God. Uh, First Thessalonians, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Here's another favorite. Hebrews 4, verse 16 says, Let us then with 
confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, 17, and 18. Here's God's will for you. You want to know God's will for you, grace? Here's God's will. Verse 16, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So we are invited to bring ourselves before the Lord. It is his will that we bring our every need and hope and heartache and burden and longing, every single one of them. And we're invited by a God who listens to us, who loves us, and who is after our good and his glory. And we want to see God's glory, right? We want to see God work healing and miracles and restoration. This God who has promised us his presence and who promises to grow us up into the image of his son, that process called sanctification. But so often in prayer, what we do is we walk our needs into the presence of God and we set them down right at the foot of the throne. And then we look at them. We look at our circumstances. We look at our neediness, at our hopelessness, at our longing. And instead of beholding the God who can transform all things, we are staring at our circumstances. We are staring at our need and letting that shape our approach to the king rather than letting him shape us in prayer. We let our requests be made known to God, as Paul encouraged us to do. And then we make sure, did he hear us? (laughs) And we make sure again, and we check the temperature on our circumstances. Have they changed accordingly yet? No, we forget to bring our requests to the throne room and then behold the God of transformation. We forget the other part of this prayer conversation is listening. And hasn't this always been the problem of God's people forgetting to listen? In Deuteronomy, when the people of God were confronted with false prophets bent on leading them astray, God instructed Israel in this way, you shall follow the Lord your God and fear him You shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. This is from Deuteronomy 13, verse 4. We cannot serve and cling to God if we are not beholding him, gazing at him, obeying him, listening for him. It is difficult to follow a God that you will not listen to. Oof. Say that again. It is difficult to follow a God that you will not listen to. So yes, prayer is a response to an invitation from our loving God to bring him our hearts and our needs and ask him to answer. But part two of this is that prayer is also more about listening than it is about just talking. It's implied in this chapter that in order for Jeremiah to hear these great and wonderful things, he's going to have to do less talking and more listening. Listen to verse 3 again here in Jeremiah chapter 33. Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. On through the rest of this chapter, God does so much talking. It is a thus saith the Lord and then declared the Lord and the Lord said again, And we get to see what God says and how he thinks towards his people because Jeremiah listened and recorded the words of the Lord. 
In my own days of waiting, of hoping that the Lord would intervene to change my circumstances, to alter the trajectory of a loved one, to repair a relationship, in my days of waiting, I had no problem bringing my requests into the throne room. I knew God loved me. I had every right to draw near and that he would listen to me, but instead of listening for him, I made demands. I held out my request, and I said, here is my thing. The only answer I will accept from you is that you fix the thing. And it has only been recently that I've begun to see that a listening heart can walk into the throne room and say, here are my things. You are the king. Change these circumstances, God, but if you will not change me, I am listening. Not my will, but yours. Okay, so we don't have time to tease this out, but what, is it, what does it look like to listen? Give, give us some examples of what listening looks like. Good, I do this perfectly now, so. Oh, you do. <laughs> Talk about that later. Just a couple. Okay, just a couple. Um, this is an ongoing practice. This is a work. I don't think it is unreasonable to refer to this sometimes as the work of prayer. So here are a few things that we are learning about what it looks like to cultivate a listening for God's voice. The first is that we want to come to God's word with an open ear, always inviting God to speak to us. Because we serve a speaking God who is still revealing himself to us, and his chief revelation to us is his word. You you believe that, right? God is still speaking. And God desires to reveal himself to us chiefly through his word. But church, when we go to God's word, if you've never done this, please start. Invite the spirit of the living God to speak to you through his word. He's the one who wrote it. And he knows how it applies specifically to your scenario and your circumstance. So we, we need to come to God's word ready to hear and inviting the spirit to speak. Yeah. And knowing that he will not contradict himself. Never. You come to me with a word, it doesn't line up with the word. Mm-mm. So here's another thing we can do to cultivate a listening heart before the Lord. We learn to listen for God as we cultivate quiet. And this is incredibly difficult in our world, right? We are very busy people. We lead fast-paced lives. Our minds are very noisy at times. And when our thoughts race with too many concerns and distractions, it can be difficult to focus and difficult to listen And so learning to cultivate quiet, whatever that looks like in your season of life, learning to find a place without distraction, learning to put down the phone. That was a sermon illustration. I wasn't getting a text message. He did not practice that. It was a great demonstration. Um, So we learn to find the ways that we can cultivate quiet in our own days and rhythms, and that will look different on each of us. The ideal isn't always possible, right? But it is always worth the effort to look for ways to quiet our hearts and quiet our minds before the Lord. Sometimes we have to coach ourselves the way that the psalmist did. In chapter 62, verse 5, he says, My soul, wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. We're also learning to listen as we grow in our expectation that God still speaks through his people. I don't mean in a Bible kind of way. God has forever shut up his word. He's finished speaking in his canon, but God very much desires to speak through his people. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside of us who have called on the name of the Lord. And I can't tell you how many times you have come and said something to me that probably was random in your world, but it was God's voice speaking to me. 
confirming something I've been wrestling through, affirming something I needed to be reminded about, rebuking me for some error that I was believing or walking in in my life. And so we need to believe that God still speaks through his people. And we need to be people filling ourselves with the word so that we have something of substance to say to one another. And the last one really is an often neglected practice in learning to listen for God, but it's believing that he actually wants to speak to us. God is not aloof and far off. He is imminent. It's a big word that means close and intimately involved in every aspect of our lives. And he longs to speak to us. It is why we have been invited in Jeremiah to call to him. So what is prayer? Well, first and foremost, it is a response to an invitation to call on the Lord. And it is also nurturing a listening ear rather than a talking mouth. We do both, but I think we need to do more listening. Okay, now this is not an exhaustive definition of prayer. We, we know that it does not even scratch the surface. But it's a good start for us this morning. We're headed in the right direction when we can begin to see all of life as the call to prayer. Every circumstance we encounter, every crisis that we come up against, every conflict that we're thrust into as an invitation to call on the Lord and to learn to listen for his voice. Now... Let's answer the second question. How should we then pray? For that, we're going to need some help from Jesus. We would do you a disservice if we did not listen to what Jesus has to tell us about genuine, authentic Christian prayer. If you have your Bibles, we're going to jump over to Matthew 6. Smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us what we affectionately call the Lord's prayer, the model prayer. We don't have time to unpack the entire prayer. There's just one foundational thought that we want to share that really helps us understand what genuine Christian prayer is all about. Matthew 6. And while we're turning there, we want to give a quick, I was going to say one-liner, but it's two lines, a non-example of what prayer is. Greg Laurie, the pastor of Harvest Chapel, put it quite succinctly. Prayer is not some mystical process where we call out to some benevolent force, nor is it a kind of power with which we create things or speak them into existence, ordering God around like some bellhop who are in heaven. No blabbing and grabbing here, y'all. No confessing and possessing. (laughs) We believe that we align ourselves with what God's word yeah, calls us to. prayer is personal and communicative with a God who loves us and knows us intimately and desires to grow us up into the fullness of Amen. who we are in Christ. Amen. That's a good reminder. God is not some vending machine, folks, that we put our 25 cents of prayer in and we expect him to spew out our every wish and our every whim. Matthew 6, Jesus teaches us how to pray. Let's pick up in verse 9. Pray then like this. Pray then in this way. Our Father who art in heaven, bringing some bells, you remember this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. A couple of thoughts, first and foremost, this is not some magic formula. If we recite these words, we will not have unlocked the key to limitless answered prayer. No, the words Jesus uses here, they're not any more sacred words than words we would use to express the same kind of desires to the Father. And I think that's such a gift that Jesus 
models this for us because now we have words when we don't feel like praying. Oh, we have preach. an obedient model. Like we have an obedience of faith available to us when yeah. we don't feel like we can pray. Jesus shows us how to do that. So it's not hypocritical no. when I don't feel like it and I do it because I'm still walking in the obedience of faith and coming to the Lord. One of the most encouraging aspects of this call to prayer is that we are never called to feel prayerful. Yeah. We're called to pray. And it's okay if we don't feel like Praying. First Thessalonians 5, we're called to give thanks. We're not called to feel thankful. And you're right. It doesn't make us a hypocrite. It makes us obedient yeah. to do the thing even when we don't feel like it. And frankly, in my own life, I have found that on the other side of obedience, my feelings catch up. And I'm grateful for when that happens. But it doesn't always happen. Right. Well, and that's not the measure by which we understand our faithful response You mean to God. how I feel is not the measure of whether or not things are going well for me? Mm, that'll preach. I heard some clapping over here. Pray then in this way. It's less about the words Jesus uses. It's more about the heart that longs to call upon the Father because the Father desires to commune and to dialogue with us. Okay, so here's, here's the foundation for all Christian prayer. This is how we are to pray. You ready? You might want to write this down. Verses 9 and 10 here of chapter 6, we find three petitions. You see him there, our Father in heaven. Here's the first one. Hallowed be your name. Second petition, your kingdom come. Third petition, your will be done. What are these about? Well, the first one is, God, may your name be hallowed. Hallowed simply means to sanctify. It means to make a thing holy. Jesus is teaching us to pray that God's name be hallowed is not to pray that God would be holy. He already is holy. Instead, Jesus is teaching us to pray, oh God, might you be treated as holy. It's learning to pray that God's name wouldn't be despised by the thoughts and the conduct of those who have been created in his image. As my father-in-law likes to say, this is a reminder to ourselves to live a life that advertises for a holy God. Second petition, thy kingdom come. This is prayer that asks that God's kingdom reign and rule would be on display, first and foremost in the hearts of those who have called on him to save us. But also that God's kingdom reign and rule would, man, be on display in all of creation. This is also a prayer that the church of Jesus Christ, you are the church, not this building. That you, the church, the people of God, would be about kingdom business. That the good news of King Jesus would be told to every nation, beginning where God has planted you, where you live and work and learn and play. And then there's the third petition here. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have you ever thought about how God's will is accomplished in heaven? It's accomplished immediately and effectively, always. Without anybody pushing back. Psalm 103 verse 21 tells us, bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers that do his will. The psalmist is talking about the angelic heavenly host. In heaven, there is nothing but obedience to the will of God. And so that we are praying here that we might become people who display a heavenly Obedience. John Calvin, the great reformer, writes that we are praying here that those around us might become people who have their wills 
conformed to such harmony with the righteousness of God that they might freely bend in whatever direction God would lead. I had to write that down because I didn't want to mess that up. Let me read it again. We're praying here that we might become people who have their wills formed to such harmony with the righteousness of God that we might freely bend in whatever direction God would lead. This is serious prayer here. Prayer that God would remove the hard hearts of our friends and our neighbors and our loved ones and render them gentle and submissive to the wooing of the Father, to the sacrificial life of the Son, to the conviction of the Spirit. First three petitions, God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. And then there's three more petitions, verse 11 and 12. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us, and give us freedom from temptation. Deliver us from evil, our food, our forgiveness, our freedom. Two sets of petitions. Question, which set comes first? Jesus is teaching us something very important about the nature of Christian prayer. The first set of petitions are those that are concerned with God and his glory. And then he gets to me and my needs. Church, listen to me. Genuine Christian prayer is always concerned first with God and his glory. Before we ask for anything ourselves in prayer, we look for God's name to be made famous and treated as holy, for God's kingdom to come and advance in expansive ways, and for God's will to be accomplished immediately and effectively as it is being done in heaven right now. God and his glory comes first in our prayer. And that sets the rest of our needs and our desires in proper perspective. You've experienced this. Yeah, some of you who've been around for a while know a bit of our story. Cam and I walked through years of infertility before we adopted our children. And it was one of the most painful and transformative seasons of our marriage. In the aftermath of one of our first miscarriages, I was doing the only thing I knew how to do. Like Peter, who said, where else would we go, Lord? You have the words of life. I was bringing my heartache and my anger and my disappointment into the presence of God and asking him to help. I called on him. I asked him to answer me. And one evening, I was taking a drive by myself around Lakeview, and I was calling out to the Lord, and I distinctly heard, I'm using the word heard not in a physical sense, but this strong sense that God was asking me this question. Are you willing to remain childless if that is more valuable for my kingdom? And I said out loud, I'm going to need a minute. (laughs) I did not know what my answer to that question was. I did not have some superhuman, super holy answer in my mouth like, oh, yes, Lord, no problem. Your will, your way. But I knew God loved me. I knew that he was for me and for my family. And not long after that, with that tiny, minuscule amount of faith, I was able to say, yes, God, whatever is most valuable for your kingdom is what I want in my life. I want your will to be done. Like Mary. Be it unto me according to your word, O Lord. And God's word has been done. In our lives, God did not say yes to my prayers that my womb would be fruitful, but God filled our home with two children who are joy and light. 
God did not say yes to heal the brokenness of my body, but he turned my attention to Jesus, who was broken for me, that I could be made whole in him. Across a decade of praying and waiting and wrestling to make my request known to God, he did not always change my circumstances, but he always changed me. Yeah. I called to him, and he answered me. Charles Spurgeon wrote, I have learned to kiss the waves that slam me against the rock of ages. Yeah. That is a difficult thing to grasp. And we have learned to pray the prayer that never fails. Not my will, but yours. God will always say yes to that. Not my will, but yours, God? Yes. That is his kingdom work. Because we've seen the loving hand of God, we can persist in prayer. We believe that he is responding to us in love and working across the span of our lives for our good and for his glory. Not my will. But yours, oh God. We're in good company when we pray that prayer, folks. And we're, we're taking a play right out of the playbook of Jesus. Not my will, but your will, oh God. That is the prayer that never fails. And it is the prayer that helps us to get the order right. God's name, God's kingdom, God's will first. And church, when we get this order right, we will find that our prayers will not be driven only by our neediness and our longing, but by our hope that God will glorify himself in and through our circumstances. And when we get this order right, we let our requests be made known to God and they'll be bookended by our earnest hope and desire that God's purposes will be accomplished on earth as it is in heaven. When we get this order right, we'll be rescued from staring at our circumstances, willing God to change them, and we will be freed to behold God. That's truly when we're transformed, church, when we behold God. And the things of earth grow strangely dim. When we learn to pray as Jesus prayed, we begin to believe that whatever answer to our prayer, our holy, loving God is going about his business for our good, for his glory. So what, what, is, what is prayer? It's a short definition. It is first and foremost a response to an invitation to a God who says, come, call to me. And it's learning to listen as much as we talk. How do we pray? We get the order right. We make sure God and his glory is chief and for foremost on our lips so that when we get to our needs, we're in bright perspective. Here's our invitation to you this week. And I hope you've been following along, but every week we've been putting together a practicing the practice resource. It's a lot of work, so just pretend that you're paying attention. Uh, we we want to invite you to practice. Every week we've been putting together... Just some ways for us to engage in this practice. This week, we're going to call you into prayer. Uh, we've got an outlined uh, schematic, kind of concentric circles. We're going to pray from the inside out. We've even got a group prayer for those of you with kiddos uh, to help encourage you and how to pray with your family. 
Uh, outside, there's going to be a QR code. Pull up your smartphone, open up your camera, or do it right there, and it will open a link to go to the guide. If you want some previous ones, they're all available. We can get those for you. Reach out to us at the church. We believe that God desires to meet us in our prayers. He invites us to call on him, and we believe that his good for us often doesn't line up with our definition of good, but that's okay. Because if we saw what God saw and we knew what God knew, we would be okay with his timing, with his responses. For he is a good, good God. He is love. And because God is love, there's nothing that he can do in the life of his child that is incongruent with his love for us and to us. It doesn't feel like that sometimes. But the more we grow in beholding him, the more we see his goodness in the land of the living. Would you pray for us, babe? Father God, we are so thankful that you are not a cold and distant and calculating deity. We thank you for your love, for your compassion, for your heart that invites us to call to you, that you will answer us when we come into your presence. Thank you for King Jesus, who modeled this for us, who showed us what it looks like to call to you, to pray for your kingdom, for your glory, and to ask you to meet our needs and our longings. Thank you for King Jesus, who made a way for us to know you and be known by you. Your word says that you preserve us when we take refuge in you that you are our chosen portion and our cup. You hold our lot. The boundary lines have fallen for us in pleasant places. God, help us to believe that this is our beautiful inheritance and that you are working for your good and your glory in our lives and in our community. We confess together we love and trust you. And in the name of Jesus, amen.